Listener Production. Hello, my lovelies. Now, if you haven't already listened to part one of my chat with Wendy Harmer, you need to go and listen immediately because we actually dig deep on Wendy's childhood and how it has shaped her into the person that she is today. Now, get ready for part two where Wendy and I talk about her incredibly successful radio career, her random act of kindness to me. And this happened during one of the darkest times in my life and really turned things around for me. It just shows how something seemingly small can mean so much to someone. And also Wendy and I talk about how she managed the fallout from being the first woman to host the Logie. She really is quite something and she's released a wonderful memoir called Lies My Mirror Told Me. It is a fantastic read. It made me laugh and it also made me weep. Now, a gentle warning about this episode, there is some colourful language there. If you know me, you know I'm not a swearer, but our darling Wendy is. So, just be aware that there is a little bit of colourful language in there, especially if you have some little ears listening. What was it that made you think, I want to be a stand-up comedian? I mean, you'd been, you're a journalist, you love telling stories, you love talking to people, but what was it about the magic of comedy that made you look and think, I want to do this? Um, well... I started out uh, in a little sketch comedy troupe. Oh, gosh, it's such a bizarre story. I told you I liked talking, okay? I told you I was bossy. I can't imagine <laughs> that you like talking when. <laughs> so, That's why we love you. So, so, so as a journalist, I used to, you know, brave the boys' club in the pub and I'd stand there and you know, tell jokes and yarns with the best of them. And um, what happened one night was I got, I had no idea the comedy scene existed. None, right? I had never been to a live comedy show in my life, never seen a stand-up comedian. And one day I was working at the Sun News Pictorial newspaper at the time. I was quite a senior, you know, was quite a senior journalist there, good career ahead of me, about to go, to, well, just started going up to state rounds, you know. And um, the features editor said, can you go and write us a feature article on this new cabaret, this alternative comedy? I went, oh. You know, what's that? So I went along to see this show and, oh, my God, I'm sitting there, I'm watching Steve Vizard as Buddy Chuck with Paul Grabowski on piano. I remember Gina Riley was in a little singing group and they sang, Is it true what they say about Footscray? Does the sun really shine all the time? I don't know what the hell that was. Um, there was Lost Trios Ring Barkus in their suits chucking bread rolls at each other. David Argue, the comedian, was on roller skates playing a giant foam piano and singing I Go to Rio. And Richard <laughs> Stubbs was Who doing stuff. Yes, like you love and him. Richard Stubb was doing stand-up. And I sat there and I thought, holy Toledo, what is this? And, you know, I say, I say in the book, it's a little like when a kid goes to the circus for the first time and goes, oh, 
and starts juggling in their bedroom at night, you know. That was what it was like for me. So I wrote the article and then I started haunting these places, you know, these cabaret venues because uh, Rod Quantock and Steve Weizard and a whole lot of people were, had been involved in the Melbourne University Archie Review, then the Law Review, and then there were these all these clubs, you see. There was The Last Laugh and this is in Melbourne, it's 82, 83. So there was Foibles, the Banana Lounge, the Comedy Cafe, uh, La, La Joke, uh, The Last Laugh, Catch a Rising Star. It had a night called Catch Chooser. So I started haunting all these places. And then I got a boyfriend who managed one of the places. And so I was there every night. And I ended up being in this show that I took Marianne Fay's place in the show. The show was called Carnival Knowledge. And it had Peter Moon and Ian McFadgen in it and Marianne Fay. And what a lineup! What a lineup! Except she was like eight and a half months pregnant, and they were doing jokes about pickup lines. It was just really not kind of well, considering it looked like she'd picked up someone <laughs> quite a few <laughs> months earlier. <laughs> anyway, I got I took over her part in the show, so I was sort of doing character sketches and all that kind of thing. At the same time, I was going along to the joke to watch the male stand-ups. And so I'm watching Shane Bourne, the wonderful Shane Bourne, and Pete Rosethorne and uh, Richard again and Glenn Robbins. I mean, what names, you know, brilliant. And I was sitting there loving it, loving it. But at the same time, Jess, I was saying, well, where are the women who are doing the stand-up? Now, half this audience is women. Where are the women who are doing it? And there weren't any. And that struck me as a bit of an injustice, you know, a bit always been a bit of a sort of a justice warrior or a, a virtue signaller, as they call them now, Jess. No, I love you being a justice warrior. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'm going to give this a go. Look, you know, if people say, oh, women aren't funny, I, it makes me so angry because it denies us, uh, you know, a fundamental part of our of our character and our makeup, our humanity. Of course, women could be funny. So I got up and started doing comedy and I, you know, and the boys were all thrilled to have me. And uh, one of them said one night, and it's probably the, one of the best compliments, he said, um, when you're on stage, we hear something we haven't heard before. Instead of ho, 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 it's <laughs> And I thought, isn't that great? So, you know, I'd watched in days gone by, I'd seen when the, the men were on stage, the women would look to their boyfriends and say, you know, is that, is that funny? And then when I was on stage, sometimes the boys would look to their girlfriends and go, is that, is that funny, you know? So it was cool. And, you know, so there was that motivation to do stand-up comedy, which is, I've just given you the longest answer in the history of the world. So, but also the motivation, you know, with the scars on my face, I thought, oh, if you're going to look at me, I'll give you something to look at. Have a good long stare. And yeah, so they were the two things. So you're a trailblazer for women comedians in Australia. And also you've been a trailblazer for women in media. You were the first woman to host an FM radio show and kept so many of us company during those years. Highest paid woman on radio. How did you do that for so long? <sighs> Money helped. 
<laughs> there was a sigh before that. <laughs> well, I well, uh, well, I was lucky enough to meet Brendan, who stayed home with the kids. Who's your beautiful husband? Yeah, yeah, mad as a cut snake, ex- deeply eccentric, wonderful, and he uh, he stayed home with the kids. And that wouldn't it would, look. It wouldn't have been possible without Brendan being there because I was leaving at four thirty in the morning, and running off to uh, you know to the Today FM studios to be there on the old morning crew. It, well, there were a few of us who had kids around that time. Amanda Keller, she started on um, radio not long after me, and uh, she had her kids while she was doing breakfast radio as well. So you need an enormous amount of you know a, a amount of backup. But best job in the world. Best job in the world. I mean, what made it the best job in the world? Because you would laugh every single day. And I'm not just talking about, you know, a bit of fun with your, you know, your colleagues or, you know, someone tells a funny joke. Like, laugh so much you could barely speak every day. And it was so fast-paced. It really reminded me of journalism. You know, I loved, you know, the hurly-burly every day of journalism. I actually just once saw a person run the full length of a newspaper office shouting, hold the front page, (laughs) which is worth the price of admission alone for the, you know. And when I was on daily radio, we ran as well. There'd be people running between the, you know, the sound lock and the record library and the production studio and, you know, it, it was... Exciting. It was really exciting. And anything that you could think of, you, you could put on air. The great... We used to really... It was Paul Holmes, Peter Moon and I were on for the bulk of the time. Uh, for nine years we were together. And then we had all these fabulous production people. We would sit there every day and, yeah, we had writers as well, and we would sort of nut out what we were going to do the next day. But the rule was, my rule always was, if something else happens on the morning, all of that gets thrown in the bin. That was really important. So you would be, so for instance, you, you know, and you're in fabulous Sydney and we were up high in, you know, this big um, sort of office tower overlooking, you know, half the city. And just say there's a big pile up on the Harbour Bridge or whatever and the whole city has come to a standstill. We might say, right, well, we'll send our man in the street, you know, Michael Sidney O'Neill, we'll send him out and we'll get him to uh, race across the bridge um, see how many times he can cross the bridge on foot before the traffic jam's finished or, you know what I mean? Or, or just come up with kind of mad, I mean, once, oh, God, the mad things that we did. But I remember he came on to the team because we made him sit in a shop front for the whole of the Sydney Olympics. <laughs> what? He had to live there. <laughs> So people could walk by and see him. Oh, my to, goodness. Yeah, I mean, your producer. <laughs> is nodding. She's, she's remembering these times. Remembering, the wonderful Nick McClure. She's remembering all this because she was there as well. <laughs> crazy times, really crazy times. And what about the mantras that you would say to yourself on those mornings? Because, of course, you're getting up before dawn. Yeah, yeah. And you're you're sleep deprived. What were those things you'd say to yourself? Well, I would have to find a little quiet place in the studio and I would say, right, no one wants to hear any of your bullshit. You are here to entertain people. You are to leave all your troubles outside that door and you are to come in here and you are here to give people a good day. 
The other thing that I would say to myself is because I, you know, because the show didn't just end at nine o'clock. What you would do then is you would, you know, plan the show. Then you were probably going, or very often going out to see a movie in the middle of the day, a new release movie, or do a pre-record with a celebrity or, uh, and then you'd come home and you'd watch a show that night, you know, Ally McBeal or Friends or whatever it was, so you could talk about it next morning. So so your, your, your day was... You were always on. You were you, always preparing. I could, I could have told you for 11 years to the minute, what minute of the day it was, and I could just fall asleep, you know, mid-sentence, which was, a, you know, which is a sign that you sleep deprived. But, but what I used to say to myself, I said, I would talk to myself and go, right... We're not going to sleep thus just now, but that's okay. We're not going to die. We will sleep later on. So all we have to do is just relax and we'll be fine and we will sleep and we won't die. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd have to have these little kind of pep talks with myself. But you, I mean, you had the same, you know, regime about, you You got up all those years for Studio 10. You must have been out of the door very early. Oh, but nothing like you. Studio 10, that was, I'd get up at 5.30. To me, there's an enormous difference between anything after 5am, no probs, anything pre-5am well, is the middle of the night. Yeah, well, the ABC, the most recent um, morning show I did with Robbie Buck, that was 3.45 alarm. Oh. oh that's ugly, isn't it? Uh, we live on the northern beaches in Collaroy in, in Sydney. I once counted, just out of interest, how many cars were on the road at that time of morning. I counted 27. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> In nearly 30 k's. <laughs> so you had the whole Harbour Bridge to yourself. And there were only really a couple of weeks in the year where you'd see dawn because of daylight saving and then they all go to black again. But, uh, I mean, being a part of a city as it's waking up, it's completely addictive, you know. Well, it's a privilege. And I think yeah. as well, I hope you're aware, when of how much you've sort of held our collective hands through big moments, big news moments. You've kept us company. More recently, I think about the bushfires in New South Wales and then, of course, COVID. Mm. I mean, you kept me company and you kept me laughing through those really lonely times. Oh, that is good because I wasn't really very happy. (laughs) I'm glad I was able to fake it because I was, during COVID, I was at home for about four months. I can't see Robbie. I can only hear him. And we're trying to do a show together. So, And the show, the shift went for four hours. It went from six to ten, which is mammoth shift. We've got no ads, remember? We're on the ABC. So you can't take like a ten-minute ad break. God, well, that last bit was shit. <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> or, uh, um, <laughs> and, you know, only a few songs. So I'm concentrating on listening to him breathe thinking, is he going to ask another question? Is he stopped? Is he, what's he, oh. That is so hard when you haven't got those visual cues from someone. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm I'm having a bit of a winch. But after I got off air, I would just flatline. I would just stare at a wall, really. And so it got to the end of 2021 and, and Robbie and I both decided we'd, you know, pretty much had a gut full of that. Thank you. 
you know, 3.45. I mean, 3.45. I still, the terrible thing, though, is I still wake up at 4 a.m. You do not. I, I was awake at 4 this morning. What? I managed to get back for a little bit of a sleep, but I still no. wake up. I do. I thought I for sure your body no. clock would just click back into what it's meant no, to no. do. No, no, do you know what? I think it's one of the reasons I was able to do it because I'm a bit of a lark anyway, you know, I'm a morning bird. What about as well dealing with those failures that we all have in life? Mm-hmm. And I think almost that that's what shows us what we're made of, that mm. it's not all, you know, top rating, isn't life great, aren't we fabulous all mm. the time? Mm. And also I think that's an enormous part of your success, When How do you put those aside and keep forging your path? Um, well, because there was, a, you know, a few of them. I mean, the um, the whole Vega radio experiment. Oh, what a cock up that was. I mean, really. <laughs> I was a fan of Vega. <laughs> I know, I, I know. It. They blinked. I think they should have kept going. But anyway, that's a, I say that's another story in the book. <laughs> anyway, oh, gosh, I wonder how many radio executives are going to be chasing me down the street with a brick after this, but anyway. And then the Logies, of course, which tanked. I was in the audience there and I was cheering you on and thinking, go you. I think we're too tough on people in the public eye and I think we're especially too tough on women. So well, I was that first, made me well, really look, cross. I was the first woman to do it. And I, <laughs> looking back, it was a bit Ricky Gervais, you know, as a bit ahead of its time kind of thing. So I remember coming back from the Logies and uh, flying back up from Melbourne. A paparazzi jumped out at the airport, tried to snap me. I went, oh, man, this is really, this is as if I was trying to sneak in incognito. I'm just coming out for work, you know, duh. And I remember coming to a big deal Sydney lunch that was sort of after the Logies. And I, and I, well, I walked in and I literally thought this. It went quiet and I went, oh, did somebody die? And I thought... Oh, no, that'd be me. <laughs> but you see laughing. It's, uh, I laughing with it, I think, is I so know. important. Well, did you see my joke this year for the Logies with Sam Payne? I loved it. Well, I wrote that for me. <laughs> <laughs> I came out of the cupboard. Wendy Harmer? Yeah. What are you doing in there? Well, I've been in here since 2002 when I hosted the Logies. Why? Witness protection. Okay. Anyway, you'll be great. And if you're not, <laughs> there's plenty of room in here, okay? Thanks, man. Where have you been? Oh, I've been in the Witness Protection Program since 2002. <laughs> but, you know, it's so funny now, though, because those sort of acerbic jokes, I mean, they were no more acerbic than what Sam did, but it's years later and everyone's used to the idea that you give a bit of, you know, ginger sort of, you know, a few barbs. But but the bizarre thing about it was I had a much gentler, sort of cuddlier routine worked out and the producers came to me and said, well, oh, come on, get stuck into them, you know. Get st- wow, was that crapper than crap advice. <laughs> Well, sometimes things happen and you just roll with it and I think your successes say far... They do much more about you. Thank you. But, I mean, baby John Burgess has never spoken to me since. (laughs) So so I just want you to know that. (laughs) Some of those gags went pretty deep. (laughs) I love baby John too. So so, do you. Yeah, I know. 
<sighs> anyway. And also, let's just talk a little bit about Brendan. Oh, yes. And, you know, you said earlier about getting up so early. I just adore that he made your breakfast every morning for you and also he would leave you a love note. Mm. Do you know how many love I have thousands of love notes. I mean, one for every morning I got up and went to work on radio. And they all start, I love you more than. And they are all sorts of sort of wacky things there. I love you more than ants' feet or I love you more than, you know, the moonlight on the waves or I love you more than, you know. I mean, anyway. Oranges are orange. I love that Oranges, oranges are. I put a list of them in my book because people have been saying, oh, you should make a book out of these. I think you should because even you saying that, I get a big lump in my throat. Well, no. I was saying to my Petey, come on, Petey, I think you need to leave me some love notes around. No, 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 no. Well, the thing is, the thing is that Brendan, oh, here we go. Here are some of them. I love you more. More than geckos in the kitchen, the pings and pongs of ping pong, the exhaustion of the fireys, every beat of a wing of every hummingbird, the junk of the council cleanup. <laughs> and a lot of them were about the politics of the day. And I know when they finish because the last one is I love you more than SCOMO lies. And that's a very lot. So, but Brendan is getting nothing because he has said he's not, he's going to read the book up to the part where he comes in and he's refusing to read the bits about him. So he hasn't read this yet? Well, he's only read the first bits. He hasn't read anything about him. So he can, you know, forget it. This is as much as he gets. He's getting nothing else. You just saying that has reminded me of something. When I wrote a memoir and I'd said to Petey before it went to the publishers, have a look. I want you to have a look Mm. and then you can, if there's things that you're uncomfortable with, now is your opportunity. Yes, that's right. And he didn't. He didn't. So then (laughs) there's bits in it where I talk about sex on the kitchen bench. And he was like, Pussycat, what is this? And I said, well, you had the opportunity to take this out. Yes, yes. Well, you know, so the bit, you know, that where Brendan likes to dress up in women's clothes... (laughs) And I flog him with bits of, you know, vegetables. Well, then he's just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> you know, too late now. Too oh, late I've got to tell cried. you. Though, I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you. Because, of course, you know, one of the stock in trade is that, and this is one of the things that I was a bit of a pioneer of, for good or for ill, is talking about, because um, I was like the first woman to sort of headline an FM radio show. So I brought all my family stuff to the table, you know. So I brought, you know, the kids and Brendan and... Or before that, I was... You know, I spent a couple of years whinging that I was single. Listeners even remember the night that I went on a date with him and said, she is going to marry him. <gasps> oh. Isn't that... So that I was obviously bumps. going blah, blah, blah about my life to everyone. So... And everyone would say to Brendan, how do you deal with it? And he, and he said, well, uh, it's fine. But I did cross the line once and I am going to cross it again because I have crossed. I told the story of how I'd had to take 24 little tiny baby ticks out of his scrotum 
with <laughs> with tweezers. And he wasn't happy about that, especially when he said, well, why don't you just use your teeth? <laughs> <laughs> Dare I ask, how did he get them there? Oh, well, you know, I mean, the Northern Beaches is Tick Central. The local pub is called the old flea and itch, or the old tick and itch. No, truly, Jamie Dury, for all his, oh, look at my beautiful garden, he lived in the Northern Beaches. He probably was covered in ticks. And hopefully and I don't, And I don't want anyone to be thinking about Jamie Dury's scrotum no. at this point. Just, even if you are cursed with the ability to visualise, just put it out of your mind. <laughs> Well, they get we know they get what they deserve. The blokes, if they don't read the book, that's just bad luck. That's right, exactly. And can you imagine if they wrote a book? I would be through that thing, wouldn't you? Of Forensically, I have a, I, I'd have lawyers standing by, <laughs> a phalanx of lawyers, <laughs> and I'd be going, wow, yeah, and I'd be just page by page <laughs> climbing through it. Uh, he is, though. Brendan is such a beautiful, special man. Yeah, and fine. what I do want to just say to you, <laughs> yes. and it has stuck with me and continues to stick with me, is your incredible heart and kindness. You've been with me through some really rocky times in my life. I still have an email that you wrote me when I was really struggling on the Today Show, and you were the first person, when to reach out to me. And we didn't know each other. No. I, well, you know what? The Logies taught me that. Because there were very few people who reached out to me during that time. And I thought, you know what? I am now, when I see someone going through a big pile of, you know, poo, I'm just going to reach out to go, how are you going? Do you know, I've made so many lovely friends in that way. You know, just just an email or a note, just sort of pick up the phone, I've got your number. Hey, how are you getting on? You would be surprised, I am surprised, about the number of people in the public eye who you would imagine who had every resource to be able to pick themselves up from a public humiliation or a scandal or whatever, who find themselves incredibly isolated. And so, it, you know, to be able to sort of, pick, you know, send a note or pick up the phone and go, how are you getting on? For them, you know, it's often, you know, a really um, uh, a lifeline, you know. Um, well, not to be overly was. dramatic, no, no, but, but I but, mean, you know, it is a, you know, it is something that is unexpected and comes at a at a time when they are really low. But as I say, you can eat all very well from outside. Someone who goes through one of those public pylons, wow, that is tough stuff. Have you been watching the David Beckham oh, documentary? How good is it? It's brilliant, I love isn't it? it? But what about them going oh, through at the age of twenty three? Oh. My when he goodness. was, I didn't fully appreciate that level of just vitriol no, and hate exactly. that was directed at him. Exactly. He needed one of your emails. He Les. certainly That's did. <laughs> and if I had been in England at the time, I would have gone, ah, oh, g'day, Bex, how's it hanging? You know, how are you doing, old son? Uh, yeah. But no, I will but, never, ever forget that oh, kindness. Oh, And it, no, it got me through and I remember then I rang you afterwards <laughs> in tears and you had Brenda on speakerphone and then we went out to lunch and it just, it gave me a sense of I'm not alone in this and there are still parts of me that are good 
and valuable and because you can lose sight of that when oh, it's so public. Oh, for goodness sake, for goodness sake, you can, you get so down on yourself and, and you know, people used to say to me after the Logies, are you still thinking about that? We go, well, yeah. I only got slagged off by everyone in the whole, you know, the, uh, the whole of Australia. I mean, there were, I mean, <laughs> there were, I remember my brother Noel, my late brother Noel, he was working as a, uh, a painter, a house painter, and he's listening to Talkback Radio with Steve Price and, um, and Neil Mitchell, and I am the topic of conversation the whole day. Oh, she's this, she's... And then Noel was listening and uh, he rang up and he gave Steve Price a round to the kitchen. I thought, yeah, good on you. So that meant, you know, that kind of meant a lot. And, I mean, I remember that in the, in the age lift out, there were like 40 letters all saying how terrible I was. And there was one letter from Greg Fleet going, oh, I think she's fantastic and la, 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 you know. And that is the, you know, that's, that's you go, wow. And it's really restorative, you know, and it's, it, it's important. So if anyone is listening and you know someone who's going through a bad time, you know, just pick up the phone or send a note or whatever you want to do and just um, reach your hand out because you just never know how poorly someone is, is going along. Yeah. Well, thank you for reaching your heart and hand out not only to me but to so many people. Oh, yes, you're a such an important part of our lives. Now, and I love it, you to bits. Did it make you laugh in any place? Oh, I laughed. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> of course I did. It's hilarious. Do you think I said well. fuck too often? <laughs> no, there's not a lot of swearing because I'm not a swearer. So <laughs> oh, I didn't actually. Oh, I remember that about you now. I remember Miss Pollyanna. I remember. <laughs> no, there are funny bits. Oh, good. And beautiful though. Your turn of phrase for different things. Is hilarious. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you enjoyed yeah, it. Thank no, you. I loved it, and it also made me cry. I, well, I must say, I mean, and for people like me, they'll read the final chapter. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, you know. don't even start on the final chapter. I was sobbing <laughs> in bed yesterday. Make them laugh. Make them cry. Do yes. it all. Yeah, and you no. have done that. Well, you've been a lovely friend to me too. Aww. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I really, and you, Jess Rowe, are the first interview I've done about the book. So Aww. thank you. Well, I'm honoured. I really thank am. Thank you. Love you. Love you too. I just gave Wendy the biggest hug after that interview. I didn't want to let her go because there is something, I think, incredibly comforting about her energy, her spirit, and also that wonderful voice of hers that has been this constant companion for so many of us. Now, Wendy's beautiful memoir, Lies My Mirror Told Me, is available now. It is just a wonderful read. Do not miss it. It made me laugh. It made me cry. It is a beautiful book. Now, for more big conversations like this, subscribe and follow the Jessro Big Talk Show podcast. It means you will stay up to date with all of my very special guests. And if there's someone you know who will love this conversation with Wendy, you know it is so easy to share it with them. Just tap the three dots and you pass it along. And I think if you enjoyed my chat with Wendy, I reckon you're going to love my chat with Jackie O. I'd love to find a partner 
because I'd just love to sit at the dinner table with someone and have dinner. That's what I yearn for. And that's the thing I miss most about my oh, my old life, you know. Sorry. It's a funny thing what we miss. It can be the littlest things, you know, and for me it's having that family time at the dinner table. It's like that used to be my favourite part of the day. So I don't have that now and I think I will get that back. But as I said, I want to wait, you know, a little bit longer and then maybe down the track I will fall in love. That would be nice. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe, executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. Listener.